Good evening. I did want to begin by thanking Pastor for having us to his house. It is a bold move to invite <clears throat> a young family with three young kids into a house, but he's raised children. And um, their dog, I wanted to share this, their dog, my son loved their dog, Mickey. Um, and, and it was neat that Mickey, the dog, immediately started licking James's face and usually our kids a little bit reserved because we don't have a dog because we travel a lot but James kept putting his face down for more licks <laughs> and and uh pastor kind of said you know Mickey back down a little bit and I said oh, it's okay licking James's face is good for your dog's immune system <laughs> um but we were very grateful for the time at Pastor's House, and for this morning, just being in Sunday school, enjoying that. Our children enjoyed Sunday school. Malia, our youngest, always enjoys a new nursery, uh, so we, we're very grateful for our time here. This evening, uh, what we'd like to do, I'd like to start with a testimony of really how the Lord got us to where we are um, in following His will for our family in the ministry. And then right after that, we have a short video that you will see. I'll explain a little bit more about the video as we get there. And then right after the video, I'll come back up. You get to hear me again. I'm going to talk through a PowerPoint of pictures. You get to see pictures of Alaska, okay? I grew up in a pastor's home. I'm one of seven boys and no girls uh, in this pastor's home. My parents... Uh, answered the Lord's call to the ministry after they were married. They are from central Pennsylvania, and the church they attended, uh, through that ministry, Dad felt the call to preach. He went to Bob Jones. Um, he was an elder at what is now our Ascending Church <coughs> in Greenville, South Carolina. And during their first full-time ministry position, I was born in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. When I was four years old, our family left rural central Pennsylvania, and we went down to the city of Sumter, South Carolina, where my dad was the pastor of a larger church with a Christian school associated with it. And I remember as a four-year-old, really for the first time, realizing that, you know, I heard, I heard the Bible preached at church every Sunday and every Wednesday. I heard the Bible taught in our home almost every evening of the week during family worship. And as a four-year-old, I remember thinking, I don't remember what the Lord used to bring me to this, but I remember thinking that my <clears throat> position as a pastor's kid did not save me. Um, that I needed salvation for myself. But I was afraid. Uh, I, I went to this Christian school. I had peers and I was afraid, again, my position as a pastor's kid, I was supposed to be, right, uh, the most well-behaved uh, child in the entire school, my brothers and I. And if somebody found out that I wasn't saved, in my little four-year-old mind, I thought that would ruin my dad's position, that one of his kids were not saved. <clears throat> so I ignored this burden uh, for two years, then the Lord used a communion message at age six to corner me spiritually 
And that evening, my dad led me to the Lord in our living room. Two years later, I was eight years old. We moved to another rural place in the country, western upstate New York. And I say western and upstate because I don't just say New York because we all assume New York City. Uh, But we are in western upstate, right between Rochester and Syracuse, about two hours east of Buffalo, six minutes from Lake Ontario. We moved to this small country church. And I remember, again, thinking, I'm a pastor's child. My brothers and I are supposed to be the most well-behaved ones in the church. Um, Everybody that I cared about knew me as a pastor's child. So I thought, leading into my early teen years, that I could literally decide to do whatever I wanted with my life. And it would look good to the people I really cared about because I was a pastor's kid. And at the age of 13, my best friend and I, Adam, grew up right down the street from us, down the cornfield a little ways. Uh, He's an only child. Both of his parents worked and he was homeschooled. So you add those three together and that equals he was the eighth child in our home. He practically grew up in our house. He and I are close in age. We became best friends. Adam and I became Indian blood brothers on my parents' front porch. I will not go into detail. Um, We used my pocket knife. That's That's all I'll share. Adam and I made two promises as we made this, I don't know, ritual. Uh, We promised that, number one, we would never get married, okay? And number two, Adam and I promised that as soon as we turned 16, we were going to sign into the United States Air Force with the goal of both of us reaching into the Air Force Pararescue, Special Forces in the Air Force. We wanted to either fly rescue aircraft or jump out of said aircraft, Uh, to save people. We wanted to do this the rest of our lives. To me, the military was, was awesome. I have family in the military. And as a pastor's child, I can't remember a single time I prayed and asked the Lord if that's what he wanted me to do. I just assumed, again, that no matter what I wanted to do, it was good. Several months before I turned 16, the Lord brought a missionary family to my dad's church on a Wednesday. And their son, they were missionaries in Papua New Guinea, a very remote bush location. Their son, Matt, who's just a few months older than I am, he and I were shooting basketball hoops in our driveway Wednesday afternoon. And I started to share with Matt my dreams, my goals, my wishes for the rest of my life. And Matt, you know, when I... When I shared everything with him, he started to share things with me. And what do you think Matt, the missionary kid, started talking to me about? Well, the mission field. And he started to use phrases like bush pilot, missionary aviation, missionary bush pilot, bush village, remote access. I had never heard this stuff before. And that afternoon I thought, wow, there are are guys whose job... (coughs) is to fly single-prop aircraft to get missionaries where they need to go. So I decided that afternoon that I was going to give my retirement to the Lord. And when I tired from the Air Force uh, with my aviation training, I would go onto the mission field. That would look really good as a pastor's kid, right? Uh, But the Lord was not done working in my heart that evening when Matt's dad got up and presented the ministry and started sharing pictures of these remote villages in Papua New Guinea. The Lord started to work in my heart. And that evening, before I ever walked out of the church building, I got, got about halfway down the steps that lead out of the church building, and I stopped and, and to this day, I remember feeling pressure and weight on my shoulders weighing me down spiritually. And by the time I walked out of the church, the Lord had completely taken away my desire for the military. 
and I knew that he was calling me into the ministry. I assumed Papua New Guinea. That was my goal. Around this time, I started to notice a lovely young lady in my dad's church. We kind of grew up together. We were in the same church. Uh, she's two years older than I am, so that made me a little bit nervous. She's a lot smarter than I am. Uh, so that actually was encouraging to me. When I started to become interested in this young lady, who is now my wife, the only, the only eligible girl in my dad's church, by the way, I was discouraged by one of my good friends in the church. Matthew told me, he said, I can't believe you're interested in her. I said, why? He said, her family boils their hot dogs. <laughs> and I was second-guessing my interest in her. Uh, I grew up camping. Every hot dog got cooked over an open fire. Um, but I started to become interested in Rachel. She started college early, and I started late, and she was ahead of me in school already, so we were never in college at the same time. She went to Bob Jones University for four years, graduated, and came back. We started dating. And then I think we dated for almost a year before I went to Bob Jones. I got to Bob Jones planning on never preaching a sermon, but flying missionaries in Papua New Guinea so they could preach sermons to Native people. But I immediately started attending Mount Calvary Baptist Church because of family connections there. And it was through the pulpit ministry and some small studies with men in that church that God gave me a love and a passion for preaching the word. And through connections I had at Bob Jones, the Lord gave me, I met a representative which is our, with our mission board, Baptist Mid-Missions. And Mark Seymour came up to me, asked me what I was interested in, in missions, and I shared with him. I shared how the Lord burdened me. I said, this is what I want to do. And Mark said, have you ever thought about Alaska? And I remember thinking, I didn't say this, but I thought, no, because that's not a mission field. People go there for vacation. Alaska's, I'm, I'm pretty sure Alaska's one of the 50 states, right? Um, I didn't say all that, by the way. But, but Mark told me about a, an aviation pioneer ministry taking place in southwest Alaska among the Yupik native people. He gave me some information about this ministry. Mike and Jeanette Clark, missionaries to Iliamna, Alaska. And I opened the, the, the information, I thought, that's great, just the wrong part of the world. My sophomore year, uh, the Lord directed my wife and I to get married. I ran out of money, didn't want to go a bunch of debt, so I got married. Um, <laughs> but I moved back, I went back to New York. My wife was working uh, while I was in college, so we got married, moved down to Greenville, South Carolina, uh, where I started slowly chipping my way at the last years of college as a married uh, town student with a child and a full-time job. Um, and I remember thinking, as I got closer to when I needed to do an internship, that going to Papua New Guinea was very daunting to me. So I thought, what if we went to Alaska? I'm not going to be missionaries in Alaska, but it's easier to get to than Papua New Guinea. We don't have to go through all the visa stuff, passports, you know, all that, all that stuff. So we did a six-week internship in Iliamna, Alaska with Mike and Jeanette Clark. And the Lord used those six weeks again to tell me, to show me, that what I had planned to do and not completely given it to the Lord was never his intention for me. He called our family without a doubt to this ministry. And with that, I'd like to go into the video because this video will kind of summarize, for the most part, those six weeks. Um, and then right after the video, I'll come up and I'll talk through, like I said, a PowerPoint, which will give a lot more detail into the culture and our ministry goals in this village. So, brothers, if you're ready, we can go ahead with, with the video. In 2018, my wife and I and our nine-month-old daughter flew into the Alaskan bush village Iliamna with Mike and Jeanette Clark in their mission plane. 
It was our goal to find out if the Lord wanted us to serve Him among the Yupik natives in Bush, Alaska through aviation ministry. In Iliamna and a few other Bush villages, we spent the next six weeks learning how church planting, discipleship, and aviation outreach work in Bush, Alaska. During those six weeks working alongside the Clarks, we saw how the Lord is using their 15 plus years of ministry to build Christ's church in these villages. And we also saw the need for a missionary team to be established there in Iliamna. Hi, we are the Houts family, Aaron, Rachel, Anna, James, and Malia. Aaron and I grew up in Christian homes where we were exposed to the gospel and gave our hearts to the Lord at young ages. We both attended the same small church in a farming community in upstate New York where Aaron's dad is the pastor. Aaron attended Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina and graduated with a ministry and leadership degree. I graduated from BJU with a degree in music. Partway through Aaron's degree, we were married, and the Lord blessed our home with three children. Since our time in Alaska, the Lord has continued to give us a burden for the people in Iliamna and the surrounding bush communities, and we believe He has called us to serve Him in this unique place. In 2021, we joined Baptist Mid-Missions, and we are benefiting from their 100 years of missionary experience. During our time in Iliamna, we observed the current church plant ministry there, Iliamna Baptist Chapel. We were able to help serve the church through Vacation Bible School, and the Lord used that to give us a love for the young people in the village communities. We were also able to serve through music ministry, preaching, and even some building upkeep. As we served in the church in Iliamna, our Lord burdened us for the village communities in the surrounding area where there is no consistent gospel outreach. Hundreds of these villages, including Iliamna, are separated from the road system and only accessible by airplane or boat. The Yupik people in these villages must hear the gospel of Christ, as many of them are deceived by the Russian Orthodox Church, which has influenced these villages for decades. One of the villages in particular is the village of Leblok. We were able to fly to the village and hold a Sunday morning service with a small group of women and children. The eldest native believer asked Aaron after the service if he was the preacher she had been praying for. After experiencing a strong burden from the Lord, Aaron knew the Lord was calling our family to bring the gospel to these villages. Since childhood, I have had a passion for aviation and plan to finish flight training once we arrive in Alaska. Seeing how the ministry works in the bush, it is clear that being able to fly is a necessity for effectively reaching these remote villages with the gospel. One of our ministry goals in Iliamna and the other villages is discipleship with those who come to Christ. The instruction our Lord gave the disciples during His time on earth prepared them to lead the early church. We want to train future leaders for these small churches through scriptural instruction. Would you please pray for our family as we follow the Lord's calling for us? Please pray for the people in this spiritually dark corner of the world that still need to be reached with the gospel. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts.
Okay. Um, so again, purpose of the PowerPoint, we have a very, you know, we have a limited time with you tonight to unload on you, as it were, our burden, uh, where we're going, what it's like there. Uh, we wish we could, you know, sit down in all of your living rooms and discuss all of this with you. Um, along those lines, I want to give a little advertisement for something on our table. We have a display table in the back, and we have an email sign up. Because we want to connect with you, um, our family prays for this before every meeting, that somehow the Lord will allow us to personally, um, in the ministry sense, connect with you, that, that you would actually feel a little bit of the burden that we have for Alaska. Because we strongly believe that when God's people are burdened, actually, for where we're going, for what we're doing, they will pray for us. And that's why we're here. Um, missionaries on deputation get to go all over the place begging people to pray for them. So if you would, please, visit our table. Get your email if you'd like. If you want to wait until after the presentation to decide if you want to get our updates, that's fine. Um, but we have several ways you can do this. You can write your name and email on a notebook that we have back there. There's a QR code that you can, you can literally run past our table and scan the QR code on your way with your phone. And that sends you to our website. And there's a page on our website where you can fill out your name and email and you immediately get added to our list for updates. You are familiar with these updates. Um, we send two formats. One format you can print and put on your wall. Everybody can see it. The other format you only get if you sign up for the email. It's longer. There are a lot more pictures. Um, we don't, you know, that's not a printable format. What we also do is in between our prayer letters, we like to send short videos, usually two to five minutes. And what those usually are, are is my wife taking a selfie video with the kids. Sometimes I'm in the video, depending if I'm driving or not. Um, just saying hi, giving you brief updates in between those prayer letters, and you get to see our kids, my wife, we all get to talk. Uh, why? Because we want to connect with you. Um, we really want this. So I would love for you to get your name on the email. Our PowerPoint begins with this picture for several reasons. Again, if you visit our table, you, you get a prayer card. Um, you see the banner back there with our family picture on it. Those, that picture is almost two years old. And you know how quickly kids change. Um, our kids have changed a lot. So this is a much more up-to-date picture so you can see what our family actually looks like. Um, my name is Aaron, my wife Rachel, and then Anna is our oldest daughter, James is our son, and I'm holding Malia in the picture. Anna is six, James is almost four, and Malia just turned two. So that's a little bit about our children. The other reason why we start with this picture, and I know hopefully this will um, connect with a lot of Christian parents in the room. My wife and I are very burdened for our children, as any Christian parent. The Lord has called us into a unique field. Um, and my wife and I believe with our whole hearts that our children are our primary ministry. God has given them to us so that we can teach them diligently the things of God. So we can actually shepherd a little flock in our own home. We've made conscious decisions based around this role that my wife and I have. So our presentation really begins with our family because our children are our primary ministry. The Lord has not called Aaron Houts to Iliamna, Alaska. The Lord has called Aaron Houts' wife and children to Alaska. My wife is called, our children are called to be missionary kids. So this is a ministry that will involve our whole family. And, and my wife and I's responsibility, number one, is our relationship to God, our relationship with each other, and then our relationship with our children. So if you could pray with us that we don't mess parenting up too badly as missionaries, um, but that we would, we would be wise as parents training our children. Okay, 
Alaska. Where is it? What is it? How big is it? Everybody has an idea, okay? Alaska is a unique field because most everybody we talk to know, they know about Alaska. A lot of people have been to Alaska or have relatives or friends or some kind of connection who live in Alaska, okay? If, if I can just open it up um, just for a, a few seconds, when you think about the state of Alaska, what comes to your mind? A word, a phrase, anybody? Eskimos? Huge? Isolation? Mosquitoes? I heard cold. Has anybody been on an Alaskan cruise? Yeah. Um, it's a dream hunting location. It's a dream fishing location. People from all around the world pay a lot of money to go to Alaska to hunt and fish. People literally from all around the world, professional hikers, pay a lot of money to hike the world's second largest mountain, tallest mountain, Denali. Some of you know it as Mount McKinley. It's been changed to Denali. Okay. All right, those are just a few things. We, we know something about Alaska, okay? But I wanted to start with this, what might seem like an elementary picture, to give you an idea of where it is, because some people are surprised to find out how far north Alaska is. Think with me back to middle school, or I actually don't remember when it is, elementary school maybe, when we start learning the geography of the 50 states. You might be even younger than that, because I think Anna's picking up on some of this in first grade. Okay? The textbooks have a hard job to do, because they have to get all 50 states on one page. Okay, so what happens to Alaska? Where does it get put? I'm seeing hands. On the lower left-hand corner of the page, somewhere between Texas and Hawaii. Okay, now, what does that do to Alaska? It puts it in the wrong place on the globe, makes it look a lot smaller than it actually is. Alaska is farther north than most of Canada. That red dot that you see, again, there's a red pin on our map, on our display table. That's approximately where Iliamna is, our village. The closest big town is Anchorage, 230, depending on which way we fly, to 250 miles northeast of Iliamna. Anchorage is the nearest, you fill in the blank. Uh, it's the nearest grocery store, it's the nearest mechanic shop, it's the nearest lumber yard, it's the nearest hospital, it's the nearest dentist, it's the nearest college. We cannot drive there. Iliamna is in a region that stretches almost 90% of the state of Alaska. We're going to refer to it as bush. The only way there is by airplane. There are no roads going to these villages. You can see us there, Iliamna. If you can find that lake, it's our country's second largest fresh, uh, it's our country's largest freshwater lake other than the Great Lakes. Iliamna is right on that lake. You see how close we are to Russia? Um, apparently you can see Russia from three different points of the mainland. We're about 55 miles apart from Russia between those two points that you see. How big is Alaska? Well, my best friend, Adam, who I mentioned in my testimony, was, you know, he broke both of our promises, just like I did. He's married, and he joined the Army, not the Air Force. Uh, we are still best friends. Adam, for a while, was stationed in Texas, and as redneck kids growing up, Texas was the coolest state to us. So for a while, when he was in Texas, we would talk on the phone, and he would share the awesome things about Texas and how big Texas was, and and I shared with Adam, I said, you know, I found a picture of a t-shirt online, and it had the outline of Alaska on it. And then inside of that, it had the outline of Texas. And then at the bottom, there was a caption that said, isn't Texas cute? <laughs> you may have heard that if you cut Alaska in half, both halves would be larger than Texas. Yeah. If you can find Juno there on the screen... Just south of Juneau is the farthest east the state reaches. The distance from Juneau, or south of Juneau rather, Ketchikan, 
to the farthest west Aleutian Island, that chain of islands that you see going southwest. East to west Alaska stretches approximately 2,500 miles. To put that in perspective, the farthest east, the farthest west of mainland United States is 2,800 miles, 300 miles wider than the state of Alaska. What about our population? It's our country's largest state by far. 732,600 people in the state of Alaska. 81% of that population live on what we call the road system. Anchorage, Fairbanks, Kenai Peninsula, and in between, up to Prudhoe Bay. You can drive to their house from here, 81%. What about the other 19%? That 19% is predominantly Alaskan Native people that live in small bush communities. We can refer to them as villages where you cannot drive. You have to fly or sometimes get there by boat. That's where the Lord's called our family. This is Iliamna. That red roof there is the church building, Iliamna Baptist Chapel. This is how a lot of these Native villages are laid out. These people... They don't run up and welcome you when you land in their, in their airstrip. For the most part, Alaskan Native people are very closed relationally to outside white American people. It took Mike and Jeanette Clark, missionaries we will be working with, almost five years before they were able to share the gospel with a Native because they would not give them the time. These native people are extremely close to each other. They are extremely close to their family, to their friends, to their natives. And they get close to outside people when we build these relationships with them and earn their respect. And one of the ways that's happened is through their culture. Alaska has over 3 million lakes. That's over twice the amount of the other 49 states combined. All of these villages are located somewhere on a water system. And guess what they do in the summer? They fish. And that's what they live on. They hunt and they fish for all of their meat. They live a subsistence lifestyle. That's their culture. And the Clarks, for the most part, have, have adapted to this. They learned to fish from the native people. During salmon season, the villages are shut down because they are revolving around salmon. Mike hunts, he goes moose and caribou hunting with the native men. And that's been one of the greatest ways the Lord has used to build their relationships with these people. This is the Clark's uh, gill net. This was this summer we were there for the second time visiting the ministry. When the salmon are running, the people are fishing. They're using nets. Fishing and hunting, those are not sports in these places. It's grocery shopping. Um, the people do go grocery shopping in Anchorage. About every three months, three to four months, they'll go. They'll fly into Anchorage. They get three to four months worth of groceries. And then our groceries get put on an airplane because our mission plane can't carry that much. And we, we pay over a dollar per pound for all of our groceries to be flown back into Iliamna. Okay? Another way the Lord has used the Clarks is through some of the trades that they know. When we were there for the first time five years ago, our second day there, Mike asked me if I wanted to help with a construction project. And I said yes. One of the families in the village was building a yurt. You've probably heard of a yurt. This is not very common in Alaska. I like to think of it as a modern-day igloo. Um, most of the natives live in somewhat modern homes. They look a little bit different, but they, they live in modern homes. But these people are not carpenters. They don't know construction. They don't know electricity. They don't know plumbing. They don't know basic repairs. They aren't computer software people. Their culture is hunting and fishing. But to live in this modern world and to, you know, to have something replaced or even built, they need help. So it either doesn't get done or they hire someone and pay a lot of money for someone to fly in from town or... Maybe the missionary knows how to do something. 
And they know Mike's background in construction, and he's been asked many times to help with construction projects. And I got to watch him build a relationship with a native man, an older native man, during this construction project. The Lord has gifted my wife and I with talents and and trade skills that do not exist but are in great need in these villages. My wife teaches music. The native children love music. Then there are no music teachers. She gave a piano lesson while we were there. We were gifted by a church with two small violins. We have a full-size electric piano. We're planning on using those things for my wife to be involved in the lives of children teaching music. During college, I had the privilege to learn the appliance technician trade. I was an appliance technician for three years. They all have appliances that break down, just like you do, except they can't call a repairman. So they either, they either try and figure it out, which they usually don't, or they just take their appliance that needs a $20 part, and they take it outside the village and throw it on a big pile of appliances and pay a lot of money only during two and a half months out of the year to have another appliance brought into the village through a barge boat tractor trailer system because they don't fit on the airplane. But what if there was a missionary there who had a small appliance repair shop? We're planning on using this skill uh, to build these relationships with the people. Another one of our ministry goals is pioneer ministry. The Clark's goal for the last 17 years has been not just Iliamna, where there is a church building, there is a church plant, but other native villages some of them have never been reached with the gospel before. Their goal has been to have a missionary group, a team, based in Iliamna, and then alternating with the families, going to these other villages and living there for several months at a time, building these relationships, having consistent services. They've not been able to do so because they are the only missionaries there. There's nobody to fill the pulpit when he's gone. Levelock is one of these villages. The Clarks have been to several villages once or twice a year, and that's it. If you can see here, let me see if I can point, this large building, if you go just a little bit to the right, there's a square of trees. If you squint, you can see a rooftop right there. Our mission board owns a quarter of an acre in Levelock. Iliamna is remote. Levelock is more remote. It's about 45 minutes flying in the bush plain south of Iliamna. This is a parsonage in Levelock. Nobody has lived here for over 25 years. There's a church building in Levelock that's a little bit more kept up because they use it once a year. Our last Sunday there, we flew here. You heard about this briefly in the video. And we preached, I, I preached to three Yupik Native ladies and Mike, the missionary. And after the service, Mike introduced me to Patricia. She was the oldest Native believer. And Patricia shook my hand. And you know what this is like. She, she cupped my hand with her other hand. And she asked me if I was the preacher she had been praying for for 20 years. Because she was saved under the ministry of the previous missionary family who was stationed there, but nobody has been there since. Our goal is Levelock. Our goal is New Stoyahawk, Stoyahawk, Igiagig, Eagle Bay. Other native villages, some have never been reached. Our goal is to get there and to live there, taking turns with the Clarks, using aviation to do this. Iliamna has an air taxi. This is how everybody gets their groceries, mail, Uh, This is how people get around for the most part. We have our own aircraft. That wingtip that you see in the lower left-hand corner is our Piper Cherokee 6. Uh, Mike is a pilot. He's a mechanic as well. And while we were there, they were praying for the possibility of purchasing their own property on the airport where he could build a hangar and put his airplane inside because he's had to keep it outside. A couple years later, he sends me this picture. This is a Baptist mid-missions hangar in Iliamna, Alaska. Through the money raised by supporting churches of the Clarks and work teams, they were able to build this hangar. Now all that snow is off the aircraft, and he's able to keep the airplane in a very warm 38 degrees in the wintertime. 
The Lord is using this hangar. We were there this summer for a dedication service for this hangar to the Lord. We also had some uh, church meetings, deputation meetings on the road system where two churches voted to support our family. Um, They have seen the need for this ministry because they have people in their churches, ex-law enforcement, state troopers, who have served, who have lived in these villages as law enforcement. And they've seen the darkness. They've seen the need. And they are completely behind us. We are very grateful for this. And then this last picture is the church building in Iliamna, Iliamna Baptist Chapel. We worshiped the Lord for six weeks in this church building. And the Lord brought people, I can say this literally, from all around the world to this tiny church. During the busy season, there are several hunting and fishing lodges located in Iliamna. They hire pilots to fly people out in the middle of nowhere to go hunting and fishing. Some of those pilots were believers, one from Texas, one from Arizona, and they attended the church. There was a mining company located in Iliamna. They have helicopter pilots. They hired a pilot from Germany to come and and give helicopter lessons. This guy from Germany, a German, was a believer. He spoke broken English, and he came and attended the church. And it was an encouragement to me because Christ promises in Matthew 16 that, that he will build his church. And we are surprised sometimes when we find out how he does it. The fact that it's Christ's work means that the result of all of our attempts of ministry are completely up to him. He's called us to participate, but the results are up to him. And sometimes he takes our work and surprises us, doesn't he? And he builds his church in surprising ways. And we were encouraged in this tiny little village to to worship with people from all around the world. And then this last picture, and I will be done and open it up for questions if we have time. Um, You are familiar with deputation a little bit. You know a little bit of of traveling. We travel a lot. We try to be in a new church every Sunday. Um, We've been doing this now for a year and ten months. Um, We just ask prayer that, that you would pray for us. The Lord would keep us safe as we drive. We put a lot of miles on our vehicle. We put a lot of miles on our children. Um, we've, again, we've made conscious choices to try and make this more enjoyable for them, and, and that's our second request, that they would enjoy deputation. Um, deputation is a ministry. This is not a means for our family to get to the field. In a way, it is. But this is, we call it a pre-field ministry. Um, we get to travel all over the place, recruiting for missions, talking about Alaska, and preach. It's a wonderful ministry, and, and we'd like our children to see it that way. And they, they do an amazing job in their car seats, in people's homes, in new nurseries, in new Sunday school classes. And we are so grateful um, that the Lord has gifted us with them. And then again, we ask prayer for good connections with you. I'm going to say this for the second time. Connect with us through our email sign-up sheet. We would love to get your emails. And then lastly... Uh, we have a little jingle that we started praying for before we started deputation. We, we are asking the Lord to allow our family to be fully supported and able to move to Alaska next summer. Um, our jingle is Pray For Mid-24. We are currently at 65%. We have to raise around $8,300 a month. 20% of that immediately goes to aviation costs. Avgas right now is almost is between fourteen and fifteen dollars a gallon. Um, we can only move here about three months out of the year. Our car, our larger stuff that does not go on an airplane, we will need a four wheeler. We will need a um, snowmobile. Um, all those things get put on a barge boat on the road system, sent across Cook Inlet on a tractor trailer over a dirt mountain road on another barge boat on the north end of Lake Iliamna, and then floated down to our village. And that only happens from the end of June to the end of August, um, about a three-month window of time. So we're praying for next summer. One more thing. Um, while we were there this summer, 
the day after we flew out of Ileana to go back to Anchorage, we got an email from a lady in the church in Ileana that Ryder and Wiley, two Yupik native children, came to Christ in Ileana. Um, the Lord gave me the opportunity to preach in the church that Sunday, Sunday evening, and Monday morning we got the email that two native children came to Christ. Um, we are praying for more children because um, our kids don't have many kids their age who are Christians in this village. So we are praying for more ministry opportunities in the lives of these children. I'm done talking. Um, can we take a few questions? If you all have questions for me, for my wife, for Anna, maybe not for James. Let's, let's stick it with Anna. Um, but if you have questions for our family, please ask. Um, and it can be anything. It can be a statistic. Hopefully I know it. If not, you can Google it when you get home. Um, anything about the ministry, we would love to answer any questions that you have. Are there any? Yes, sir. In one of your slides, you showed the map of Alaska, and part of the map off of Russia was a yellow slash. And I was wondering what that yellow slash was. That's not part of Alaska. Between Alaska and Russia? There are several yellow slashes in that picture. As far as I know, they are all borders. Okay. Up in Russia, you mean? Yeah. So, um, east of that slash is completely uninhabited in Russia. So, to per put that in perspective, the governments, United States, Russia, and China, have all in the past 10 years, several times, considered building either a bridge tunnel, um, either a bridge or a tunnel to connect those two points of Alaska and Russia. China is interested because it would open up a huge amount of trade a lot easier to North America. The reason that is almost completely impossible is because there are no roads even getting there to build a bridge. Um, that's all mountains in that small section um, disconnected by that yellow line. And there are no roads that, you know, that go to Alaska at that point either. Yes, sir? Uh, the yes, thankfully the natives speak English. Um, the each, so there are five major tribes in Alaska. One of them is Eskimo. Yupik is the tribe in our area. Um, Eskimos are mostly coastal people. Each tribe and all the sub-tribes under those tribes have their own languages. Um, a lot of them share the same Tlingit language. But all the children speak English. All the adults speak English. The languages really are only spoken by the elders, um, the older Alaskan Native people who are much more proud, um, that might not be the right word, of their culture and trying to keep their language alive because it's dying. The kids really aren't interested in learning it. The young adults aren't interested in learning it. Um, we are hoping to learn a good bit of the Yupik language to help build relationships with the older people. But yes, they all speak English, thankfully. Yes, ma'am. Snow is five weeks ago, um, and we have snow on the ground through May. Um, as far as light and dark, it, it's hard to say these months are light, these months are dark, because it fades very much in and out. Uh, so in the summertime, if I, I'll do the extremes. In the summertime, we go about six to eight weeks without seeing a single star, because it never gets dark enough. It never gets darker than dusk in the summertime. Certain parts of the state will go two weeks with complete darkness, no sunlight at all. That is really high north in the state. Um, our area in, in Iliamna is more southwest, and our shortest day, we get four hours of the sun peeking over the horizon and going back down. So we don't have a day that's completely dark, and it's gradual between those two extremes. Anybody else?
Okay, yes, sir. Yes, so as far as the appliance repair thing, um, we are planning on taking a corner of the hanger and using it to, we'll have a dryer hookup, a water hookup for everything, and using that as a little repair shop. It's not going to be a, you know, a busy business or anything like that, but we're planning on using part of the hanger. Yes, yes sir? Yeah, so North Pole, Alaska is just six to eight miles um, southeast of Fairbanks. Fairbanks is a six-hour drive from Anchorage, um, and we are an hour and 45-minute bush flight from Ileana to Anchorage. Uh, we, have, we have a church in Fairbanks that supports us as far as projects go, um, so we have connections in Fairbanks, and... North Pole is close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There really is a North Pole, Alaska, by the way. It's a, it's a town, uh, and you can go there. There's a Santa Claus street, I think. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. The Clarks have five children. They've raised all of them in Iliamna. Two of their sons are aviation mechanics in Anchorage. Um, they, have an, they have another, their oldest son is doing computer work in Michigan, and then their two daughters live in Iowa. Yes, sir. You said in the history up there that uh, their understanding of Christianity was in Russian Orthodox. In the areas where you want to be, is there a Russian Orthodox presence? And if so, Yeah. Russian Orthodox is all over Alaska. Um, you see how close Russia is. Russia was the first nation to begin to discover Alaska. Um, when they started that, they started sending their missionaries first along those Aleutian Islands, and then once they hit the mainland, they spread. And now almost every single native village in Alaska has a Russian Orthodox church. Um, in the Bush area of Alaska, the phrase is to be a true Alaskan native is to be Russian Orthodox. It's very prominent. Um, Russian Orthodox is part of the Eastern Orthodox Church. A thousand years ago, it was the exact same church as the Roman Catholic Church. So it's a very works-based salvation, and we will never preach that. It's like, it's like here, it's like anywhere else you go in the world where there are religions um, preaching a false gospel, and, and this church here does not do that, uh, where there is a church down the road who does, possibly. So, yes, the church has a lot of influence in a lot of these villages. Um, thankfully, for the most part, the native people call themselves Russian Orthodox, but they, they do not attend church. So, does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Um, they're supported through their through the Orthodox system. Um, so, so they have a lot of the elders. There, there's no law enforcement in these villages um, in our area. So there are chiefs set up and elders in the village, and they have a lot of authority. Those are the men and families who will usually always be in that church in the Russian Orthodox Church. Some. You know, a chief may even be the priest of the church. So there are enough people in each Orthodox church to keep it going, um, but they are very small. And, and I'm saying that for our villages. Iliamna, Levlock, there are not very many people in those Russian Orthodox churches because they just don't care about religion. But other villages, their churches may be full, um, but not the case where we are. Yeah. Toward us? Yes, very much so. Yeah, they are antagonistic towards not just what we're preaching, but to us in general. The native people, we aren't welcome when we get there. 
uh, having the Clarks as teammates is going to be huge because they're considered white natives in the village. They've been there for 17 years. Everybody knows them. They're involved in the community. So that's going to help us a lot by being connected with them. Yeah? Um, in a way, yes. So it doesn't help that a, a member of the Russian Orthodox Church passed away a couple years ago, and they asked Mike to do the funeral and not their priest. That hurt. But the Russian Orthodox Church... Uh, the, the, the priest and all the members were at the funeral and heard the gospel. But generally, um, there's very little interaction between the two churches, uh, unless it's, you know, day-to-day stuff. But they're, I don't know if there's antagonism, but, but just they would ignore us. Yes, yes, sir. Always carrying. Um, most, m- I have my CWP from South Carolina. It carries over to Alaska. Not that we need that in these villages to carry, but um, most of the crime in these villages is within the household. It's domestic violence. There's a ton of alcoholism, a lot of drugs, and a lot of abuse in, in these native homes. There, it's very rare to have a crime in the community, a murder, something like that. It's happened. When that happens, the natives don't want that in their villages. So with the lack of law enforcement, when something like that happens, they usually take care of it themselves. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, three men go fishing, two come back kind of thing. So, so the, the reason we carry everywhere is more because of grizzly bears. Uh, than crime in the village. There are a lot of grizzly bears during salmon season. Um, it's, it's uncommon for them to walk through the village, but so far, every time we've been there, a bear has walked within 20 feet of the church building. Um, and they can get, you know, obviously they can be very dangerous. So that's more why we carry wherever we go. Anybody else? And then I will turn it over to Pastor. Okay, if you have any other questions, please... Email us. If you get our emails, you can email us with questions. Uh, When we send our prayer letters, we actually like to hear back from you. Feel free to email us back. We want to hear from you. We want to hear prayer requests from the church. Um, But thank you so much for your time. Pastor, thank you for the opportunity.